Welcome to the Facility Dude Podcast. Here's your hosts, Bob, Papa Dude Bittner, and Tony Butler. Welcome, everybody, to the Facility Dude Podcast. This is episode 17. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, Bob, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great this morning, Tony. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Again, a little cold here. Uh, hasn't hasn't left us yet, but at least it's not raining, so that's a good thing. Yeah, or turning into snow for us. Right, right. Well, last episode, we uh, we had invited Matt Munter uh, with EMG. He's been with EMG for 16 years, definitely an expert in this field. We talked about the value of condition assessments. Uh, this week, he's back with us, and what we're going to talk about is, is how do we get started and what do we expect uh, when we decide we're going to go down that road and actually have condition assessment done on our portfolio of buildings. Uh, Matt, good to have you with us today. Hey, thanks for having me back. And just like you know, I mentioned, what, where can we start when someone says, hey, I need to do a condition assessment? Um, you know, there's a lot of different options and a lot of different uh, uh, ways that you guys can help them. Um, what does that process look like? So, yeah, great, great question. There are a couple different flavors of the uh, condition assessment. So, the, uh, there is an ASTM standard out there, ASTM standard 2018. It's the uh, property condition assessment standard. That's really a due diligence standard. It's uh, also kind of known as a red flags standard. So, if you're going to purchase the building and you want to know if there's code compliance issues, if there's uh, outstanding deferred maintenance that needs to be taken care of, that would be an entry level standard. What we're seeing most of our institutional clients who are putting a long range plan together are going a level above that into a a full condition assessment that looks at every building component uh, all the way to its replacement life. And then looks at not only replacing with like kind, uh, which would be replacing the, the lights with the same lights, just new ones, but looking at is there a more efficient uh, replacement. So uh, that would be an option to consider is how far down that uh, replacement uh, kind of discussion you would want to get. Uh, we have a lot of clients five years ago were doing standalone energy audits on their sites, looking for opportunities where they could uh, replace building components with more efficient to result in some energy savings. Now, energy cost is down right now, but we're seeing more folks that are including that energy audit in the condition assessment. So if they're preparing a 10-year plan, that 10-year plan will include, all right, when that boiler comes up for replacement, what is the more efficient replacement? And what's that going to cost? Maybe it's going to cost a little bit more for that component, but what is is it going to deliver in energy savings? And that leads to an interesting discussion at times where uh, the energy savings are so significant that that owner may want to move that up early, replace that boiler before it goes out uh, to start achieving those energy savings now. So that's the kind of th- discussion you want to have with your team about what the results from this uh, study are going to do. What are you going to be doing with them? And that will inform how deep you want the study to be. What I see too, Matt, uh, in a lot of cases is the footprint of equipment is getting smaller and smaller. Uh, where you used to take a boiler, for instance, that would take a, a huge room, you now can put uh, five condensing boilers in the space of one boiler. Absolutely. And, uh, you, you, so it, it, minimi- it, it helps minimize space constraints and so forth and to do that. But if, if, I'm, if I'm saying, okay, Matt, I want you to come do a condition assessment for me. I, I've, I've evaluated your company. Uh, we've talked to others. We think you're the right guys to do this, or whomever it is. 
then what does that look like once I say, okay, Matt, come on and let's do a condition. What do I have to do? What's on my back? Is this going to take me uh, uh, three months of my uh, effort to, to babysit you? Uh, how long does it normally take? What do you what do you require before you get here uh, to do that? Yes, yeah, so, uh, all, all great questions. And, and, uh, and I'll start off with the uh, what everybody knows. These kind of things uh, work best when uh, you're an active participant in, in the process. Um, if, uh, if the results are not as good, if, if uh, the consultant comes out uh, and is handed a set of keys and, and, uh, and, and told to figure it out. So is so, that kind of like going to the doctor and not telling them all the symptoms? Great yeah. analogy. Uh, I'm going to add that one to my, my rap. <laughs> there you I go. didn't have that in my rap, but that's a good one. So, so yeah, we're taking your car in. You know, they, they can only figure out what sound it's making that day unless you tell them exactly what's been going on. Right. So, the, uh, yeah, it starts with you sharing uh, with the consultant what, what you've got. So, for us, we prepare a pre-site questionnaire. We want somebody who's familiar with the building to talk to us about, has there been any, any water intrusion in the building? We're not always going to see that uh, the day uh, that we're on site. Uh, are there pieces of equipment that are going out and, and getting work tickets? We're going to pull the, uh, the maintenance management software program, if there is one, to see has any single component been getting uh, called out for, for work tickets or are there uh, anything out of the norm as far as hot and cold calls to certain spaces in the building. We'll try to trace that back to which system is serving the building. But in general, we're trying to get as much information about what's going on. Whoever's doing the work is going to need some uh, type of set of plans. <clears throat> Don't need a complete construction set, but mechanical plans and a, a uh, architectural floor plan layouts. Because at the end of these studies, the uh, the deliverable really is a a cost estimate for what the repair is going to be. So without having a set of plans, uh, the consultant's not going to be able to accurately estimate uh, how big is the roof, how many square feet. Uh, is the HVAC system serving, uh, et cetera. So there's a little bit of prep time, uh, and, and it's uh, usually the consultant will give a laundry list of items that they want. Those are wish lists, so uh, there's no penalty for not having all those items. The consultant will know how to, how to figure out if, if uh, an item's missing, how to, how to make do with what's available on site. But I get a better result. The more information I get. A little bit of prep time, you know, the, uh, is, is, uh, is worth a lot. When the consultant gets there, they're not going to take as much of your time if you have somebody pull some of those plans. A couple other things that are really useful is what your last couple years of capital projects look like. <laughs> if you've done a couple roof projects in the last summer, uh, really good to share that with the consultant so they can calibrate the cost estimating library that they're going to use. So usually the consultant will have some kind of cost estimating tool they're going to use. They want to calibrate that to the client. Uh, so nothing's better than here's the last two roofs I bought, here's what we paid per square foot, and then we'll calibrate the, the cost model to reflect that. So some prep time about what's been done, what's broken, and then being ready when you get on site. You asked a little bit about pace of the on site. Typical uh, site team will include a uh, mechanical engineer and an architect is kind of the base building block. Uh, the mechanical engineer obviously will be looking at mechanical systems, the architect will be looking at building envelope, <clears throat> fit and finish um, type of stuff. Uh, so being prepared for that team uh, with at least one escort. The escort is going to need to open mechanical spaces uh, to the mechanical engineer. Uh, typically, the, you're going to understand in your building whether you want the consultants walking through occupied spaces or not. 
uh, gate 12, you're going to want somebody from the building if you're going into the area where the, the kids are. In fact, uh, in some K-12 applications, they'll want the engineers to be in after, after school hours actually doing the classrooms. Usually there's plenty of areas other than the classrooms to look at during, during the day when, when the maintenance guys are on site. How do you do that in a building, let's say, that's mm -hmm. occupied 24-7? Uh, maybe it's a hospital in the healthcare environment, hospital, or maybe a, a jail or prison. Uh, how, do you, how do you get in there and do your work when the, the buildings are occupied? Is it still possible? It's still possible to get in. In fact, uh, at the end of the day, most clients prefer us there during business hours because that's when they've got maintenance staff on call and on duty. They don't want to have to pull guys in uh, with overtime to walk through the buildings. And like you said, many of these buildings, there is no downtime that you can fly through the building with, with no one there. If you had your, if you had your uh, uh, dream person that would, you would have walk with you, who would that be? Yeah, great question. So the uh, the dream person uh, on site is Joe, the maintenance uh, engineer who uh, was there the day they installed uh, all the equipment, <laughs> and he's been there. He's been there every day since, and and can tell you exactly what's going on. Um, Joe doesn't exist in, in most of the buildings, um, so we're dealing with with uh, what's available. But what you want to uh, tell your uh, your escort on site or, or whoever's managing it and. Uh, you folks listening to the podcast are the facilities managers. You want to give the engineer uh, the most knowledgeable person about the building to be your escort. Not uh, somebody just with a ring of keys that have trouble finding the keys to open the door. That, that's correct. So that, that, that's the instinct is to, is to give the one guy who, who doesn't have uh, anything uh, to do that day uh, instead of keys and tell him to walk the consultant around. But it's really useful to have the guy who understands what area that air handler serves and when that boiler was installed and what maintenance has been done and uh, where the leaks are, are coming through. That's good stuff and that's stuff that you want to show up in your report. So like you said at the beginning, if you don't share that with the consultant, then, then uh, they won't be able to incorporate that into your capital plan and it's your plan going forward. Matt, you talked a little bit about, I, I've heard you mention uh, both last week and this week, different kind of major components like roofing like the exterior of the building, the envelope, and uh, HVAC. What are the most important components to look at? Let's say if, I'm, if I want to try to, to uh, really hone in on some of the things, what are the big picture items that I really should look at and try to understand? Yeah, so the big picture items, and for us, the, the exercise of the condition assessment is an exercise in breaking the building into its component parts. So uh, we really look at it from a couple different ways. What are the biggest ticket items that you need to have a plan for how to replace? And if there's a strategy to prolong the life of that big ticket item, that's what you want to think about. So the first thing that always comes to mind is roofing. Uh, roofing, every building has a roof. Those roofs only last a limited amount of time and they need to be budgeted for. Uh, next, and, and uh, the second thing to think about is if you don't fix that item, how does that impact the building? Does it have the potential to take that building off a line? And uh, you know, that's your business is having that building open, whether it's having class in that building, having people in that building generating revenue. Either way, taking the building off a line is a, is a deal killer. So a, a leaking roof will take the building offline. It will also impact other building components. So you can't defer a roof replacement. Uh, HVAC is the next most important thing, heat generating systems. So you can't have a building in business 
uh, if it's freezing outside and your boiler's not working. Exactly. Uh, and you don't want to wait until the boiler goes down to start thinking about replacing it. Sending people home on uh, on February 3rd, That's right. for instance, um, is, is not a good thing because you don't have heat in the building. A lot of lost revenue. As the director of maintenance, you don't want to be the guy explaining why uh, exactly. uh, school is closed that day and there's no snow on the ground. Right. Right. So, so yeah, so that's that. those are the big things, things that are going to take that building out of operation. So roofing, HVAC, building envelope is, is one of the next big ones we look at. Uh, air infiltration, water infiltration can have other impacts, but just from an energy saving and a comfort uh, point of view. So building envelope, which includes windows, uh, whatever the structure is. If there's structural issues, you're going to see them in the building envelope. Lighting is another uh, another major building system that has a short uh, recurring lifespan. Technology is coming along very quickly, so there's replacements that are worth looking at for lighting, and there's big dollar savings from the energy used in the light. Matt, uh, you also have mentioned a couple times about compliance. Uh, I know sometimes when codes change that existing buildings don't necessarily need to com meet that code at that given time. Other things they do. Uh, talk a little bit maybe about what things like maybe ADA um, compliance uh, versus some other things that maybe you don't have to do right now, but you would recommend doing just because it's the right thing. Yes, yeah, a great, great example. So ADA, uh, yeah, obviously a ADA and the uh, overall category of accessibility. Uh, so in many states there's regulations beyond the ADA Massachusetts being one that has a specific regulation that's more stringent than ADA. So accessibility regulations are big. There's there's uh, really no grandfather type of uh, concept for that. Uh, what the state of, of the art is is that clients are preparing what they call a transition plan for ADA, realizing we have to make accommodations for folks that, that uh, uh, have accessibility requirements, whether it be wheelchair, uh, vision impaired, otherwise. There is the understanding at the regulatory level that all those changes can't be made right away. So as a, a, a building owner, understanding what you've got, how far away you are from full compliance with the reg, but being able to show I've got a plan uh, that says this building's coming up for a major modernization in two years. We are going to address all the ADA issues there during that modernization. That's an acceptable approach when the regulators come to visit. And we've dealt with many clients that have been visited by Department of Justice for that very thing. Um, Department of Justice uh, isn't afraid of going out and looking at government agencies. They don't just go look at uh, movie theaters. They are out looking at uh, uh, county governments and courthouses and, and everything else. So they will help you uh, uh, decide what you need to do. But having a plan that's identified what you've got, it's really the same concept as the condition assessment. We've got this item, it, it, it's a roof, we know it's got to be taken care of. Same exact idea as we've got an issue, we don't have an elevator in this building and we, we need one. It doesn't mean you have to do it today, but you need to have a plan to get it done. And certainly when you get to a significant renovation, then you are going to have to get it done. Uh, sprinklers is another good example. In most cases, buildings are grandfathered in uh, for life safety and sprinkler protection up to a certain level depending on the state when they do a renovation, a significant renovation. However, as a building owner, uh, the same idea of modernization uh, and replacing with white kind, you can keep replacing old components with similar old components 
But at a certain stage, the new buildings are going to look very different than the old buildings. And you're going to want to bring those older buildings up to the current standard. Certainly, if you've got uh, a school system or a public building, uh, there comes a time when uh, the folks and stakeholders are going to want to see everything sprinkled. They're going to want everything brought up to that same life safety standard, whether the, the, it's, re it's grandfathered in through the regulation or not. So it's something you want to have in your plan to understand what the cost is. doesn't need to be done in year one if it's grandfathered, but you should have a plan on when that item is going to be addressed. There's, uh, there's certainly a lot of things to keep in, uh, uh, in mind when you're doing a condition assessment and as a facility manager, director, just lots of things to keep up with. So let's say you're coming in to do an optimal uh, condition assessment for me. I've gotten you the drawings. I've gotten you access to my work ticket history. I've got a knowledgeable person that's there. How long is it going to take? How long are you going to be on my site? How long do I have to put up with you? Yeah, uh, out there? What, what's in it for you? That's, yeah. always, the, that's yeah. always the question, Bob. So the, uh, it, it, the pace varies, uh, but our, our standard, and I think it's, it's similar to other folks doing this, in, in a big building, 50,000 square feet a day is a reasonable pace for the team to work through. And obviously, the, the more detailed uh, stuff you're looking at, if they're doing measurements or marking up CAD drawings, it's going to go slower. Uh, if it's a wide open building that has, uh, you know, say, a, 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 a gym or something like that with big spaces, you'll move quicker. Uh, lots of little buildings, uh, you know, 5,000 square foot buildings, it's going to move slower. Corrections. Uh, for obvious reasons, you move slower through those because you have to have security and check in, check out, all those other things. But we start off when we're putting together an estimate on a job at about 50,000 square feet a day, two-man team. Uh, we like to work through a week on site and then take a week back writing the reports. That way, the guys that are on site have a chance to download everything they've got, get their, their thoughts uh, onto paper, get their photos downloaded and then move back into the building. So uh, we may have a second team go, go out depending on the client and how quickly they want the deliverable, but that should give you a pretty good idea of uh, how many buildings per day. And so you take, uh, you take notes, you take photographs while you're out there, uh, and then so in the end, what, what would I see uh, in the end? Yeah, so the, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've got all kinds of different ways of, of uh, collecting the data. We've got some programs we use on tablets and, and uh, field checklists. The end deliverable for a single building is a, a report that goes building system by building system, has a brief narrative, here's how the heating and cooling in the building works, here's the major components, and here's what the recommendation for fixing that is. But the real one, the one page out of that report that the, uh, the executive summary has really got all the information, it's a grid that has every building component down the left side, if you imagine an Excel spreadsheet and across the top, the uh, column for each year, and in the cell, how many dollars for that component. So it's really a system uh, by year approach to what are my total dollars per year that I'm going to need to invest in this building. Now, in a multi-building assessment, pulling those all together into a consolidated plan, here's all the dollars we need in year one, year two, year three, and here's the priority projects. Some level of executive roll-up that can be brought to the board, the decision makers, whoever it is for that particular entity. And so you also then uh, take that data and can import it into the client's uh, software solution, whether it be school dude, facility dude, or other clients that you work with yeah, to, uh, to be able to get that information and kind of be dynamic that they can update it. Yeah, that's a great question and discussion we have with all our clients. So the, uh, 
A lot of our clients used to think of these as paper reports. There, there still is, a, uh, I think, a lot of uh, folks that want a deliverable that they can sit down and review with their team. Uh, they can show to the big boss, here's what's going on in that building, and here's why we want this amount of dollars. Now, what you mentioned is exactly where the market's gone in the last 10 years. Once those reports are reviewed, they're going on a shelf somewhere. That data goes into a database that can be updated. That's where this really becomes valuable. So the facility manager can go out next year with his folks and do a reinspection. All right, are these projects still needing to be done next summer, or can any of them be moved back? Does anything need to come forward that's now uh, broken that wasn't broken before? So the idea of getting this into a platform, whether it's the uh, facility due uh, assessment model, we've seen another uh, number of other packages out there. But yeah, that's that's where it really becomes valuable and of ongoing value to the client. Well, Matt, we've uh, gone over time today, but uh, I think it's a lot of great information. Uh, I think it'll be great value to uh, those that are listening. Uh, I want to thank you for being here. And it, you know, our clients shouldn't, or any client should not, uh, be afraid of doing a condition assessment. And yes, it might take a little time, but the investment that you're going to make in it, both from a financial and a time commitment. Uh, is well worth it uh, and well pay pay itself off in the very end. So I want to thank you again for being here. Hey, my and, pleasure, Bob. Always and, uh, good to visit. Uh, and, and, and help educate our clients. I know you're going to be at uh, our school dude and facility dude uh, conferences in uh, coming up here in a few weeks. Myrtle Beach. It's not long. And uh, you'll have some more time to explain. So if people want to come to that, uh, they're more than welcome to. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for coming down. That's a wrap. I've been very educational. I know that our listeners will get a lot out of that. So everyone, thanks for joining us. Uh, episode 17. Please find us on Stitcher.com or iTunes.com. If you have a comment, please leave it there or you can email us at podcast at facilitydude.com. Y'all have a great week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Facility Dude Podcast. We love to hear your feedback about the show. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes and help other facility operations professionals like yourself find the show. Email your questions or comments to podcast at facilitydude.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Facility Dude. We look forward to hearing from you.